How's everyone doing? Good. Are we, are we a little thin today on, on our attendance? The rest sleeping in or sick or what's that? Serving. That's good. That's a good, good reason. Very good. Well, guys, good morning. It's a joy to be with you this morning to open God's word together with you. It's been a while since I've been with you, and this is the first time I think I've taught in, in this, uh, this uh, area right here. Just, it's, it's, a, it's a hard temptation to not pick up a ball and start shooting hoops right now as, as you're teaching. So um, uh, it's a joy truly to be with you, to open God's word. It's a joy to see all of your guys' faces. I, I do hope, even as Matt just prayed, that, um, that our attention spans would be uh, graced this morning by God and that you'd be able to, to focus in and listen clearly. And, and I think it's real, this one's a really an easy one to, to, to zero in on and, and to focus on because it's, it's another parable this morning. So please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 22, we begin a new chapter from last week's message. And just as we begin, you know, I, I know you all are too young to get married, okay? But you aren't too young to be a part of a wedding feast, okay? So, question. How many of you have ever been invited to a wedding celebration, okay? Been a part of that wedding celebration from beginning to end? All right. If, if you have been at a good wedding celebration, okay? If, you, if you've been at a, a really good one from beginning to end, you know that the occasion for that wedding and afterward, the party that takes, that takes place as, the, as we celebrate what just happened, that occasion is wonderful. The lights are bright, the music is loud, the fellowship is sweet, the, the apparel and clothing is excellent. The, the dancing is fun. The refreshments are delicious, right? And joy simply fills the air in one of these venues, okay? And so whether, if you're, whether you're a, a boy, a young man this morning, or a girl, and you've been at a good wedding uh, celebration, every one of you enjoys it because of all that happens there. Well, guys... This morning, Jesus will be showing us how the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. But there's a warning. The scenes of Jesus' parable that we're about to walk through right now is not lighthearted or joyous. In fact, it's sad and terrifying. But I'll add, hopeful. Hopeful. So, are you guys ready? It's story time with Jesus. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. I hope you have your Bibles ready. Verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened livestock. All are butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way. One to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. 
Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to, in, in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This concludes the reading of God's perfect word. And dear students this morning, in light of our text, the theme, you have your outlines, the theme is how the invitation to the kingdom of heaven is cast wide, but only few will arrive. So, we start at the top of our text this morning, and Matthew, our writer here, by the Holy Spirit, sets the stage by writing in the very first word, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, this is verse 1. Now, you ready for a multiple choice quiz? The them in our text, okay, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the them is in reference to A, little children, B, the chief priests and Pharisees, C, fishermen of Galilee, or D, all the above. Who would like to take a stab at this and give the right answer? There is a right answer here, okay? Warning. Which one is it? Who are they writing to? If, you're, if you listen carefully to last week's message, you'll, you'll know this. Joy. The chief priests and Pharisees. That's right. How do we know that? You back up to chapter 21, verse 23, and 21, verse 25. This is the context. He is speaking to the chief priests and the Pharisees. All along, he's been addressing the religious people of the day. Chief priests, elders, Pharisees. Those who knew the law of God, but have been rejecting the God of the law. You get it? They... These are the ones who are listening to these parables Jesus is giving. They knew the law of God, but they rejected the God of the law. And he's speaking to them in parables, right? Now, someone tell me what a parable is. What's a parable? There's been several, several, several parables so far in our study in Matthew. What's a parable? In your own words. You have to call in Kevin if, if, uh, if no, one, no one answers. Yeah. Good. Keep going. Um, yep. Trying to explain something. Good. Yeah, through an example. Exactly. Good. Good. Very, very good stab in it. Let's give her applause for her bravery right there. That was, that was huge, and you are absolutely accurate, okay? A parable is exactly that. It's, it's an example to explain something. It literally means to cast alongside, okay? So parables are stories that were 
Jesus would cast alongside a truth in order to illustrate that truth. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay, so now Jesus sets the stage for his parable by saying in verse 2, look at verse 2, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Just a quick side note too, some people get confused with this. What's the difference between kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven? Because you guys have seen even past two weeks, you've seen the phrase in Matthew 21, kingdom of God. Now, someone tell me what the difference is between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. What's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? It's kind of a trick question. There's no difference, exactly. There is no difference at all. So, verse 2, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, it's important to understand a couple of facts about weddings in the first century, okay? Now, you girls might be excited about this. You boys may not be excited. Too bad. We're going to learn it anyways. Here we go. A couple facts about Jewish weddings in the first century. In Jewish society, the parents drew up the marriage contract, okay? The bride and groom would meet after this contract was signed. The couple was considered married at this point, but they would separate until the actual time of the ceremony. The bride would remain with her parents, and the groom would leave to prepare their home, which could take a while. When the home was all ready, the groom would then return for his bride, most of the time without notice. The marriage ceremony would then take place, and the wedding banquet would follow. Now, here's the thing. The wedding banquet in Jesus' day was one of the most joyous occasions in Jewish life. It was the highlight of, of that year, if not your life, okay? And here's the thing. The celebration of wedding feasts during the ceremony and after the ceremony, they would last seven days. They were seven days long, okay? Full of food, full of rejoicing, full of dancing day and night. Just thinking about that makes me both excited and tired at the same time, okay? This was what the wedding feast looked like. It was a whole week celebration. I mean, can you imagine the kids and the, and the parents and everybody just constant dancing, food, rejoicing, games over this celebration of the wedding? See, it's not like our weddings today, like two and three hours and then you're done, right? Now, they're fun, they're good, but man, these were seven-day celebrations. Now, with this in mind, let's see what good news and bad news Jesus tells us in our story this morning. So in your outlines, you have Act 1, Act number 1, which is verse 3, the first invitation and rejection. It says, and he sent out his slaves, the king sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast for his son. And then we see there in verse 3 that they were unwilling to come. <laughs> now, listen, this, there is one gigantic observation of not just rudeness in this text, but rebellion going on here. Do you see it? The king sends out 
the call to those who have already been officially invited to this wedding feast that he's prepared for his son. And these people refused to come. Now, guys, listen. (laughs) When a king summons you to anything, okay, to come into his kingdom, when a king summons you and you reject his summons, look out. Look out. In ancient times, you reject a king's invitation, it wouldn't be uncommon for him to have his servants take your life. To quote the old phrase, off with his head, even to those points. But, but, as true as that is of the ancient times, here we'll see the extension of mercy and patience of this king in just a moment. But real quickly, what's wrong here? Like, like, why wouldn't they come? They've been officially invited. He sends out the call to come. It's time. Here is the feast. What's wrong? Is there an issue that they have with the king or his son? Or do they just not care to come to the feast because they have better things to do? Well, we'll see the answer to that question as we come now to Act 2. Act 2 in verses 4 to 6, we see the second invitation and rejection. (laughs) Observe the patience and mercy of the king in this word, guys. Again. Again. Listen, you and I should never, (laughs) we, we are not worthy to receive the words again to those who have refused to come to the wedding feast. Again, he sent out other slaves, it says. Now, I think this is what we would call today a a second chance, right? You ever heard of that phrase? This is kind of like a second chance. God, ever since the garden with our first parents, has shown his patience and mercy to us again and again and again. And notice in verse 4, The king even goes as far as giving wonderful details of the wedding feast to these rejectors. Dinner's ready. My oxen and fattened livestock's killed, skinned, and cooked. Come eat the king's finest steaks. And by the way, he says, everything else is ready too. Come to the wedding feast. But now the reasons in our text here are explained for this second rejection by those who were invited, right? So within Acts 2 here, Act number 2, there are two groups of people we see in verses 5 to 6. Do you see them? There's two groups. The first group is the, those who are just indifferent to the call and the invitation of the king. And the second group is the hostile group. First group, indifferent group. These are the ones you see here in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, One went to his own farm, one went to his business. And the second group, the hostile group, actually mistreated and killed the servants of the king who invited him to the wedding feast. So, group number one, they paid no attention and went their way. These are those who simply do not care, and they make excuses for not coming to the wedding feast. They are fixed instead to the cares and hobbies of the world. 
And because of this, Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 24, verse 12, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. How's how's your love for the king and his kingdom? Has it grown cold? So, So this is their way in our parable this morning of rejecting the king and his invitation. Man, I got my farm to take care of. I got my business to take care of. They paid no attention and went on their way. Then we see group two. We see those who are hostile. They not only reject the king and his invitation, they attack the king by persecuting and killing his messengers. Sounds a lot like the previous passage in in last week's lesson in chapter 21, verse 35. As you guys heard, the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third, right? Jesus puts it this way in the next chapter, chapter 23, verse 37. Listen to the heart of Jesus here. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were, here's the word of our text, you were unwilling. You were unwilling. So in Act 2, we see again the king's extended patience and kindness to give the invitation again only to receive excuses not to come and even hatred towards him and his messengers so as to beat them and kill them. So, this is the natural question that comes, right? If we didn't know the rest of this parable. What's the king going to do now? Right? That moves us to Act 3. Act 3, verse 7. We see the king's first response. After, after much patience, we see the fir- king's first response and judgment is given, okay? What's, what's our text say in verse seven? But the king was enraged. Enraged, angered. It's the Greek word orgiste, orge, orgiste. It's where we get the term we know today as ogre. <laughs> ogre, now don't think Shrek, okay? Do not think Shrek, okay? God is not this hideous, dreaded, mean monster giant feeding upon human beings and always walking around mad and angry for no good reason. That is not your God. That is not our God. God is holy. God has a perfect holy hatred against sin. He is righteous. Psalm 103, verses 8 and 9 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, but, listen to Psalm 103, verse 9, but he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. In other words, God is patient. God is long-suffering. But there will come an end, right? There will be a day of final accountability and judgment at death and at the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. And so the king sent out his armies to destroy the murderers of his messengers. And look at what the text also says. It says, and he set their city on fire so as to imply total cleansing to even take out those associated with these murderers. Remember the flood? Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? And only a few saved? Same idea here in this parable. 
Deuteronomy 32:35, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So what now? Has the king's invitation to his own people failed? Will the wedding feast for his son be one big disaster and one big sad failure? No. Let's move on to Acts chapter 4 to find out. Act chapter 4. Sorry, not Acts. Act 4 in verses 8 to 10. We see the king's second response and the gospel extended. Look at our text in verse 8. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. So, the king now spreads wide his invitation to every tribe, tongue, and nation. To now, the Gentiles. You know who Gentiles are? Who are the Gentiles? Gentiles are anybody but, yes, anybody but Jews. So now he's extending it to the whole world here. Not just to those who had originally been invited, namely Israel, the Jews, which was God's chosen nation of people, right? Acts 13, 46, Paul explains, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, speaking to the Jews, since you refuse it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning now to the Gentiles, to the whole world. This is amazing. This is amazing, okay? And he just explained here, why are they unworthy? They're unworthy because they've refused the invitation. They've refused the gospel message, and therefore that makes them unworthy of eternal life. So we are turning to the Gentiles. So verse 8 says, those who were called were not worthy. It's not that they cannot come. Listen carefully. It's not that they cannot come. It's that they would not come. It's that they would not come. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe to the who first? To the Jew first. And praise the Lord that, that the rest of the verse goes on to say, and to the Gentiles. Listen, do you guys realize that God could have kept salvation only to the Jewish nation? He could have. He could have. He would have been just and fair to do that. But then he extends it to the world. To the world. So in act, in act four here of our parable, we see the king opening his arms wide open to all for the wedding feast. Code word for kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And now the wedding hall is filled with dinner guests. It all sounds good, right? In fact, this it sounds like it should be the end of the story right here in verse 10. They all lived happily ever after. Amen. Let's go home. But we have to make haste to act five because the parable hasn't ended yet, right? So we move to Act 5, verses 11 and 12, the questioning and examining by the king. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man 
was speechless. Now, there's a certain kind of clothing for every occasion, right? From sporting events to musicals, right? To dances, to funerals, to weddings, right? So too, in ancient Jewish culture, they had clothing for every event, from worship and teaching in the temple to sacrifices to bar mitzvahs, and yes, to wedding feasts as well. So, you might be thinking, well, okay, I get that, but what about all the people from the streets and the highways back in verse 9 and 10 that the messengers brought in? If they were coming off the streets, right, <laughs> how did they get into the wedding feast? They don't have the proper wedding clothes on coming from off the streets, right? So what do you think, just maybe assume, well, what's going on here? If, if these people that the messengers went and got in verses 9 and 10, inviting them in, they're, they're coming straight off from the highways and the byways and the streets, and you have to have the proper wedding robe and, and, and garments on in order to be at the king's feast for his son's wedding, what do you think, how did they then get here? Just think hypothetically in this parable, how then would they get to the wedding feast? What had to have happened for them to get to this feast. Go ahead, let your, let your mind wander. How, how'd they get there? How do you think they got there? If they have to have the right wedding clothes, yeah. They were given. They had to have been given, right? This is immediate call. This is coming in, right? This is a response to the king's invitation. They had to have been supplied by the king himself. So there they all are, reclining at the table of the wedding feast, enjoying the rich blessing and privilege and honor of being in the king's presence with all his people. Great, this is wonderful. But, but, see it's hard to, I'm, you're like rejoice, we'll rejoice in this, right? But, but Jesus has got something else coming that he's teaching here, okay? But as the king strolls through the banqueting hall, to, to view his guests and to greet his guests, right? He notices a man not wearing the wedding clothes. What's going on here? Verse 11. What's going on? But when the king came in and looked over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. A couple things are going on here, right? This man has rejected the king's glorious provision of the clothes. Two, this is a greater insult than those even who did not come back in the first part of this parable. And three, he's doing it in the very presence of the king, which is the highest disrespect. Guys, this morning, this is a great warning for us. There are those who identify with the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, externally, outwardly, in their deeds and in their, their ways and in their words. And they profess to be Christians and belong to the, the church in, in a visible sense, but yet reject the righteous garments of Christ, which he offers by seeking instead a righteousness of their own. Guys, this morning, don't refuse the clothes that the king graciously offers. Don't be found guilty of this horrible sin against his goodness, which is really hypocrisy. Pretending to be something that you're not, only to get 
whatever the, the extras are within his kingdom, whatever those blessings may be. So in verse 12, then, we see the king really sarcastically calls him friend. You see that? Friend. When indeed he is not, right? And he says, where are your wedding clothes? How did you get in here without them? The man was speechless. In other words, he had no excuse. He wants all the splendor of heaven, but not the Savior. He wants the glory, but not God. He wants the kingdom without the king. And this is exactly what the chief scribes and Pharisees and elders of the day wanted. They wanted everything that Jesus had to offer except Jesus himself. Guys, this is the attitude of most of the world, of most of the, really, the Christian, quote-unquote, Christian world as well. They want heaven without the God of heaven. They want the gifts and not the giver. They reject the righteous wedding robe of Christ, thinking they can get in by their own righteousness. So, with great insult to the king's face and rejecting his clothes and pretending to be then a part of his kingdom while rebelling against him and wanting the benefits of the wedding feast, what will happen to this man? What will happen to this one? Moves us to Act 6. Act 6, which is verses 13 to 14. The condemnation and choosing by the king. We see here in our text, then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Question, (laughs) again, it should be fresh on our minds. Why is this man justly condemned by the king? Why is he rightly, fairly, justly condemned by the king with such extreme punishment here? Why? I'm going to start shooting some hoops if you guys don't answer. <laughs> why do you think? Why is this man, why is this just? Now, this is, this is extreme language here. And this is by Jesus our Lord who's speaking this, right? Why is it just that he's condemned? Let me ask you this. Has he obeyed the king? Has he, has he come into the kingdom God's way, which is through his son, through belief, and through receiving the righteous robes that he's provided? Has he received this? No. In fact, he's actually mocked and rejected the very face of the king by not doing and entering as he said. Right? <clears throat> he has not entered the wedding feast God's way, which is the only way. And so what is the description of this man's punishment? I know it's hard to say, but we're going to, see a, we're going to see lots of descriptions here. But in one short word, what is his eternal punishment? That's a word we really don't like saying a whole lot. Can you say it? What's it look like? What's it sound like? What's the description here sound like? A picture of hell. hell. It's a picture of hell. You remember the parable of the wheat and tares, okay? Oh, the wheat is the true believer. The tares are those who are pretending and kind of looking like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, except not, right? The parable of the wheat and the tares. In chapter Matthew 13, 42, Jesus uses the same words. He says, he, he adds to it, he says, 
They'll be cast into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The parable of the dragnet, bringing in all the fish from the shore. There's going to be good fish and bad fish. Those who look like they're alive, and that they're in, but, but, but they're not. They're, they're dead. They're dead. The parable of the dragnet, chapter, Matthew 13, verse 50. He says that they will be cast into fire with weeping and gnashing. And God's going to have the angels do that. Parable of the good slave and bad slave, you'll see this in a couple of weeks. In chapter 24, verse 51, there is also, Jesus says again, weeping and gnashing of teeth. You have a picture? Weeping? Hard? Have you ever wept and cried really hard over extreme pain, a toothache or a, an injury or, a, or someone's, you've lost someone, there's this extreme crying and and then there's this gnashing of of teeth which even goes to speak of the of just the continued hatred against the king even in hell and then there's another description here matthew chapter 8 verse 12 if you backed up there jesus speaks of hell as outer darkness outer darkness and then you go to Revelation 19, 20, and 20, verse 10. He describes hell as a lake of fire. Now, how do you put those two things together? I mean, lake of fire, there's got to be light there, but then it says outer darkness. This is, this is too much for us to handle. We can't take this in, but we see these descriptions here. Guys, Jesus teaches about hell five times more than he does heaven. Five times more than he does heaven throughout the New Testament. This is the place of eternal punishment for all unrepentant rebels, both angelic and human. Matthew 25, 41. It is described as a place of, of burning sulfur, unquenchable fire. Matthew 3, verse 12. And those in it experience eternal, unspeakable agony with Get this, no relief. No relief. Have you ever had a, like at the dentist and they hit a nerve or, or whatever, you've had this extreme pain, you're like, you can barely take it for that one and a half seconds. Imagine that, I don't know, times infinity, um, and there's never relief. And that's just for your tooth. This is a place of unquenchable fire where you have complete conscientious torment by the holy God of the universe who who has been rejected. You've rejected him. Those who have rejected Christ and are in the temporary home of the abode, which is Hades or Sheol, have as the lake of fire as their final destination. Why? Because they are not robed in the righteous garments given by the king. But those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, here's the good news. (laughs) I know you're looking for this, right? Those who are in the Lamb's book of life, those who are robed in Christ's righteousness should have no fear of this terrible fate. By faith in Christ and his blood shed on the cross for our sins, we are destined to live eternally in the presence of God in the presence of the king. So Jesus brings his parable to an end with this truth of God's sovereignty and salvation and yet man's responsibility. Look at that again in verse 14. He ends the parable. 
For, because, many are called, but few are chosen. Is there a contradiction here in terms? A calling, and it's the king who chooses? Yes, but ultimately, we stand responsible before God. Do you realize that? Listen, how many of us here this morning are robots? Raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You're not a robot. You are a precious one made in the image and likeness of God. So you're called, but few are chosen. And Jesus says in John 6, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father draws him. But then you go to Acts 16, 31, and it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Is there a contradiction? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Man stands responsible. Even as if you look at the life of Pharaoh, okay, before God, the same amount of times as it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, the same amount of times it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. There's no contradiction. We stand responsible before God. We have brought this upon ourselves. Listen to John 1, 11 to 13. He, Jesus, came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of who? God. God. So there's no contradiction. Dear students this morning, we can't run out of this classroom today. Say, yeah, you know, I don't really care about God. I don't care about his word and stuff. You know, it's God who's, who's hard in my heart anyway. If God wants to save me, he'll save me. If that's your attitude, you are in a very wrong place. That's a very wrong spot to be. Because Paul even addresses people who talk that way in Romans chapter 9. He said it to them. He said, who are you, O man, to question the ways of God? He said, can the clay say to the potter, why did you make me this way? You can't because you are responsible. You're held accountable to God because you know the truth. Dear class this morning, God's call to the marriage supper of his son is open wide. His, his gospel call is loud and clear. However, all who are to be truly saved must come through the narrow gate, through Jesus Christ alone. Those who don't come by repentance and faith in Christ alone are not found dressed in his righteous robes. These ones will be cast out as those who would not submit to the righteousness of God. So I ask you, are you clothed in his wedding clothes this morning? Listen, NBC youth group this morning. It's one thing to know scripture. It's another thing to listen to scripture and submit to the king, isn't it? It's a whole nother thing. Which one are you this morning? Will you be the one who paid no attention and went to his farm this morning? Or will you be the one who just went to his business? Or even worse, are you the hypocrite in here? the one who is trying to come to the wedding feast, right? 
You're here at church, you're here at youth group, you're doing some of the right things, but your heart is still afar off from God. Are you the one trying to come to the wedding feast, into the kingdom of heaven, apart from loving and honoring the king by wearing the white righteous robes which he provided, the clothes of salvation made by the hands of the Savior? So, in light of this, this morning, what's our call to action today? You can flip your pages over. It should be on the other side. What's our application? Number one, if you are not in Christ this morning, if you have not repented and put your faith completely in Christ and his word alone and his death and resurrection in your place, cast off your filthy rags and come to the wedding feast. What are these filthy rags? Well, in light of our parable this morning, the filthy rags really are of the the proud self-righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees who thought they could enter their own way and even kill the king but have the blessings of the kingdom. Cast off your filthy rags, self-righteousness and hypocrisy, and instead cry out to God, the king with whom you have to do. Cry out to God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Be merciful to me, and he will give you mercy. Praise the Lord for that. Are you aware this morning of your lostness and hopelessness apart from divine grace? If you go back real quickly to, back up to Matthew 5, verse 3, where Jesus begins this kingdom talk, the kingdom of heaven talk, the very first sentence Jesus gives about the kingdom, about how you enter, is Matthew 5, verse 3. Remember what he said? Blessed, happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what it means to be poor in spirit? To confess to God, man, God, I am, I am spiritually bankrupt. I can offer nothing to be in your presence. I don't deserve to be here. Forgive me of my hypocrisy and my lies and my life of sin. Jesus says, oh, blessed are you happy are you guess what the the kingdom of heaven is yours only to that one only to that one so number one cast off your filthy rags and dear students come to the wedding feast you who are not in christ this morning you who are not in christ and number two number two if you are in christ and perhaps if this is the day of salvation for you Number two, enjoy the wedding feast. You can start to enjoy it even now. We get a taste of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of God now in the church, the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and his patience and his mercy and his love and the joy that he alone gives to us. You can be enjoying the wedding feast partly now and then completely in glory if you are in Christ. One sub point of application as far as enjoying the wedding feast. Are you ready for this? How do I enjoy the wedding feast? Really, a huge part of your attitude and your heart needs to be this. In light of what we've just seen this morning, many are called, but few are chosen. Come to the wedding feast. And our salvation is 
is based upon the sovereign drawing and calling and choosing of God upon our lives, but we are responsible to repent and believe in Him. So in light of this truth, if you are in Christ this morning and you love Him and you know His love and you are partly enjoying the wedding feast because you are robed in the righteousness of Christ and not your own clothes, enjoy the wedding feast how? Two main points. Let it humble you. Let it humble you to think, Lord, why me? Why would you choose me? I'm a good for nothing nobody. I can't do anything to deserve or earn your, your love, your patience. Let that humility cascade into your, your heart and your attitude and your thinking. Let it humble you. And say this morning with a joyful song, why me? I don't deserve to be at this feast. And then let it cause gratitude, thanksgiving to him. Let it spur you on to thanksgiving and joyful service in his kingdom because of his amazing grace towards you and towards me. Enjoy the wedding feast if you're clothed in the robes of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that is my prayer this morning that every one of us here in this room would be robed in your righteous garments. For Lord, even our good deeds are filthy rags in your sight, and that's why we need you, Lord. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, and our, we were unable to respond to you and to hear the call of the gospel, Lord. But this morning, may these dear students hear and respond, and may you grant the grace for ears to be opened, for hearts to be opened, for eyes to be opened, to see and know the love of God in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself up for us, Lord. May we be coming to the wedding feast, robed in your righteous clothes, and not our own, for we will not make it in that way. Thank you for your mercy and your patience towards us, Lord, as we transition to our second hour, Lord, uh, with all of the, the church here. May we lift our voices in praise because you are God, you are good, your grace and mercy has been extended. May we respond in faith and know this great salvation in which you call us, your children, welcomed to this wedding feast. In Jesus' name we pray, and to the glory of your name we ask it. Amen.